Angie, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous day. Welcome to Omoya Talks, the Omoya podcast where we talk to interesting people about issues relating to health. And today I'm so honored to have Anamika DeVos, an organic farmer here in Zambia, with us today. Welcome, Anamika. Thank you. So a lot of people in Zambia may know who you are, but for those who don't, I'm going to give a brief introduction. So having graduated from the Agricultural University of the Netherlands, where she studied plant breeding with special emphasis on disease resistance and the tropics, Anamika first came to Zambia back in 1994. Mm -hmm. As a young plant pathologist working on a project with the FAO, she decided that she liked Zambia and this has now, of course, become her home. Anamika's name is synonymous with organic farming in Zambia. She is one of the first to start growing organic produce and was really the driving force behind creating a local market for organic vegetables here. Anamika is also one of the founding board members of OPAS, which is Zambia's organic producers and processors organization, where she served for seven years. Over the years, Anamika has sold her beautiful organic produce at various markets and supermarkets. She now runs a veggie box business and also has a shop called Greens and Grains, where she sells her fresh produce together with produce from other farmers as well. And her knowledge and experience when it comes to organic farming is extensive. And that's one of the reasons I'm so happy to have you here with us today. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. So I was thinking, let's dive straight into it um, and talk about organic farming. But I thought organic farming and organics is some, it's a term that's thrown around a little bit here and there. So let's maybe define it first. So we're all on the same page. What is organic farming really? Organic farming is a type of farming which is holistic, so it takes into consideration um, improving the soil, its biodiversity, and um, it's an integrated farming system. It doesn't sit on its own. Um, so what does that mean when you say integrative? Well, it's not good enough to just look at one field and concentrate on that and say, okay, this is my little field. Anything what I do here is um, what I will grow. You need to look at the nature around it. You have to have often some trees around. You need to create a habitat whereby um, the natural um, yeah, creatures, your birds, your insects, your little um, uh, animals have a space and a place because you try and grow and work with nature rather than against it. So you try and work with the systems that nature have in, has in place and use them to your own benefit, basically. And then still produce something that you would like to produce. Okay. But from a consumer's point of view, Organic just means it was grown without chemicals, is that correct? It's grown without <coughs> artificially made fertilizers and without any kind of pesticides. So no herbicides, no insecticides, no fungicides, no bacterial antibiotics. Um, naturally, yes. Okay, so 
obviously very different from a commercial farm and how a commercial farm would farm. Well, a, a conventional farm, yes. Very different from a conventional farm. Okay, yeah. you're okay, yes. <laughs> conventional farm. Um, because conventional farming still happens with the use of a lot of artificial made artificially made fertilizers um, and then um, your different kinds of pesticides. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that um, is so different between um, your conventional farming and your organic farming is the fact that due to the fact that you don't use the artificial fertilizers or the pesticides, you do not kill off the microorganisms that we have all around us. We have them on our body, we have them in our body, but we have them on the plants, in the soil as well. And um, it's only now that um, we are understanding much better what an enormous important role the microorganisms actually play. And um, with your artificial fertilizers and even with your compost, which is where you have done the compost fully towards the end, so all the nutrients are available um, in a form that the plant can take them up. That basically means that the plant does, and, and you put, if you put those in your soil, whether it's artificially made or when it is compost made, you put them in the soil in a way that the plants can take them up easily. They will take them up easily, but it means that the plant will not send out the exudates, which is the substances that plants can send out through their root systems. And those exudates are very specific for different types of microorganisms that you have in the soil. They stimulate them, it's the food for them. And in return, they then give the plant what the plant was asking for. So it's a real language between the microorganisms and the plant. And through that system, the microorganisms provide essential building blocks to the plant. However, so if the microorganisms are not being stimulated and it is purely picking up the substances from the soil in, from the different types of fertilizers, there is missing links for the plant. Certain substances are not going to be there. And that means that in the juices that the plant then takes up and sends up to the growing point where it's busy growing bigger, there will be substances in their juices that are not being used because there is a bit of an imbalance because they didn't get everything. That imbalance is what insects can pick up. That they, the, the insects can pick up that that plant is crying for I'm missing this, I'm missing this. And that is then the plant that will be the one that the insects choose to go to, to get those juices. Because those substances in the juices are also the nutrients for these insects. So they go for the plants that sound alarm bells. And that's the same what happens with diseases. So it is always, again, the plant under stress of not having everything, mm -hmm that will be the first one to be attacked by 
an insect or a disease. It's absolutely fascinating. That was a lot of information that you just shared then and there. But I know from my point of view, when you talk about microorganisms, uh, which generally is referred to as the microbiome, and that's how I first became so interested in soil and the microbiome, these organisms in the soil, because I, I came from the microbiome of our, our bodies. Uh, and now I understand that the connection with the microbiome in the soil, and it's absolutely fascinating. But just to recap a little bit of what you said there. So when we use uh, artificial uh, fertilizers or pesticides, herbicides, it disrupts the microbiome, these organisms in the soil yeah. that are absolutely essential for making sure that the plants get the nutrients that they need to become strong and healthy. And if, they, if the microbiome of the soil is disturbed, then the plants aren't gonna be as strong and healthy. They're gonna be more vulnerable to diseases and pests and things like that. And also I would imagine it would ultimately affect the nutritional content of the plants so that it would affect our health. Yeah, so you have, you have one, a soil which help which will have less microorganisms because of the different pesticides and stuff that you've used so there's less we need to get those microbes through the plants we get them so less there means we will get less for in our digestive system and then less microorganisms there less nutrients so also the actual plant will have less nutrients and for some of the building blocks that we need for um, making our amino acids and stuff like that, we need specific building blocks from the plants because we can't make them ourselves. There's a few essential, essential amino acids that we have to get from our plant material. So if they're missing there, it means we don't get them and we cannot make the hormones that we need and some of those hormones are our happy hormones so yeah exactly yeah now it, it's when you think start thinking about this because it, it's actually quite distressing so once again these um some of the herbicides that we use my understanding is that it blocks some of the enzymatic pathways in in the uh, the microorganisms yeah. and the plants so that they can produce those essential amino acids and and therefore of course then we don't get those essential amino acids that are are essential for our health so it we think that you know it's just the plants but actually it has repercussions for our human health as well yeah and and I have yet to start studying this course but I've just found a course on stressology and they basically say that a lot, well, we know that lots of people are under stress and we live at the moment in a, in a time where just the coronavirus causes people a lot of stress, let alone the rest of their lives. And stress is basically also, again, a balance, an imbalance between different types of hormones in your body. And they have found that part of that is not so much mental, it is actually that physical imbalance of these hormones. And um, if you then on top of that get that certain building blocks don't come in your food, which means certain 
um, building blocks for your serotonin, your dopamine, the happy hormones are not being produced, you get that imbalance between the stress hormones and the happy hormones. And that causes more problems. Yeah, no, absolutely fascinating. So, so we realize then that, yeah, pesticides, herbicides, um, not so great <laughs> for the microbiome and, and hence for our health. But then as an organic farmer, what do you use then to deal with, with uh, pests and weeds? Well, I, I tend to look at the problems. If the problems show up in the field, I tend to look at them as symptoms that I haven't nurtured my plants very well. Or the soil, perhaps. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, the plants show me that there is a stress factor. And what could and that stress factor and, be? And that can be, of course, your sunlight, your water, your rain, um, or you, your nutrition in the field, in, in the soil. Those are your three main. And then also, is, yeah, is your plant sitting in a sunny spot and it doesn't want to be in a sunny spot, it should be in the shade and vice versa. Um, so I look at it as it's telling me there's something not right. So I usually start by feeding the plant with things like um, worm castings and whatever, so that there is a little bit more help of other microorganisms, maybe a little bit more help of nutrients. And what I also try, and that is the hardest of the lot, is I try my staff not to take out all the plants that are in the beds, which they consider weeds. So what purpose do the weeds have there? What, what, why should well, we the, the, the thing is that um, they have found that um, micro, the, the plants all stimulate a group of microorganisms that they need. And every plant stimulates a different group of microorganisms. So they say in order for an area to be really nicely balanced, it needs a diversity of plants because then you get a big diversity of your microorganisms in the soil and then they can help each other. They, they collaborate with each other. If you have very much one type of plant, which you have in a monoculture, then every single plant, for instance, of your maize, would, would stimulate a certain amount of microorganism families around that plant, ideally to help the maize plant, but then they see another maize plant as a competitor with that same family of microorganisms around it. So then at micro level, there will be competition between the maize plants, whereas the maize plants with the other plant, different families of plants around, those microorganisms are collaborating with each other. So they'll help each other for water and nutrients. So a diversity in your bed is actually more beneficial than not. But that of course is very, very different from our, our whole thinking in agriculture where you need to have a clean bed or a clean field or a clean we need to see the soil and just the plants that we want to grow but 
what soil is a living organism and if you have any bare soil anywhere the first thing that will be stimulated in that soil is for any seed to grow so that a little plant cover is going to be there as soon as possible so that the sun cannot beat the soil anymore because by the beating of the sun on the soil you lose the nutrients into the air so it's always a losing battle in that way and soil knows that so soil will stimulate to get a shade cover mm. as small as it is to make sure that the sun cannot beat the soil it's the first thing that happens so there were there was, once again a lot of information you just covered there Sorry. but no it's great on it's so interesting absolutely fascinating but um so one of the the first point you made is that for healthy soil you need a diverse microbiome, you need a diverse set of these microorganisms. And it once again mirrors human health, you know, the healthier we want to be, the more diverse our microbiome has to be. It, it, it mirrors the soil. And what you were saying is to get the diverse microbiome, you need a diverse set of plants because each plant will nourish a different set of organisms yeah, in the right. soil. And then the second point you were making if I understand correctly, is how important it is that the soil is not left bare because then, of course, nutrients and moistures are lost into the atmosphere. So it's covering the crops and the soil knows this by letting uh, crops grow. And, and then also perhaps we can do things as, as a farmer as well to make sure that the soil is, is not left bare, right? Yeah. We can, what can you do? What can you put on? Well, that that's... That's where cover crops have become so important. So maybe explain a little bit so about that. So cover crops are grown basically in between the other crops and, and sometimes only get planted later on in, in the season so that they will um, outgrow when the, the, the main crop is basically harvested. Then you will still have the cover crops keeping the soil covered for some time being able to grow on the residual moisture that is there and therefore keeping everybody alive that is down there because if there is no green cover on top if there's no plants growing the microorganisms don't get any food so they also they go and hibernate or they go and sleep or they might die off there's there's eh, there's no activity so in order to keep that soil active and alive, it needs green matter. And that's where they have now developed a whole set of cover crops that can be beneficial. And now one of the, the questions is how best can we integrate those into our production system so that it works with whichever crop you have growing as your main crop? Which ones of those cover crops do you choose? I at some point grew a lot of clover, which was going to be my green mulch. Because another thing that you could do is basically cover your soil with mulch. It then keeps it dark. And because it is dark, it, there will not be so much stimulation of seeds that are there to come up. And that's where your zero till comes in as well. It is dead organic matter on top, so it's dark. So you don't stimulate it that much. Perhaps but, uh, maybe just explain a little bit about the zero till and, and the importance of that for people who may not know. Well, zero till is basically a 
type of growing where you don't till the soil, where you don't, you, you've gone away from plowing your fields. So you harvest your crop, whatever you did not harvest dies off there, is a layer of organic matter and you plant straight back into that dead organic material. And the machine is then a machine which is adapted to this type of farming and it makes um, a slit in the soil just there for the seed to be planted so that the seed will touch soil. And that's it for the rest it doesn't touch anything so there's specific tools on the machinery to sort of open up the trash a bit so that you can that the seed can be deposited in the soil and there's another trash wheels that then put the trash back and afterwards. what is the significance of this why is that important compared to to tilling um well with with plowing you basically turn your soil upside down completely and in so doing, you break apart that whole food web, which is in your topsoil. And that food web is your, all your different bacteria, yeasts, whatever they are, and a lot of um, fungi, mycelium as well. And you know fungi grow with very long mycelium underground, and they make a, a good structure there. So. When you plow your field constantly, you break that up completely and they have to start all from scratch again. So they are not there ready to help the plants to grow. They first need to make their whole structure again and then they can start helping the plants. So yeah, there is not really a benefit except for on the outside. It looks like it's nice and clean. There's no weeds. So this is what we have been taught at first that that's what your field should look like. Okay, oh, very interesting again. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the difference between organic fertilizer compared to synthetic fertilizers. Oh, that's a more difficult one for me. I've never been to a, um, a fertilizer company, but basically artificial fertilizers are made and put together in factories. Um, whereas what you would call organic fertilizers often, uh, well, one of them, of course, is your whole composting um, procedure where you just compost yourself or somebody else composts organic matter uh, mixed in with some green matter, mixed in with um, a source of microorganisms, whether it is your manures or whether it is EM, effective microorganisms, you mix in more of the microorganisms. Is that essential? Do you have to do that? Um, you don't have to do that. Um, they would eventually grow naturally there as well. But it depends a bit then on where does your organic matter come from, because it would be the development of those microorganisms that you carried there with your plant material. Okay. Now, the reason I'm asking, I'm also starting to make my own compost now, finally, for my own vegetable garden at home. And what uh, I was told is you basically layer green matter with brown matter. So green matter would be uh, things that have been living recently. So cuttings yeah. from the, the kitchen and maybe the grass that has been mowed. And then the, the brown matter would be dead things of dead leaves, for instance, and you layer that. Yeah, but, but if you want to 
but it, you need to think about also, again, variety of microorganisms. So everything has got microorganisms on it, but um, your um, undisturbed natural microorganism diversity would come from a forest floor, for instance. There where it hasn't been disturbed and you would collect leaf material from there and you would bring that in and that with a bit of moisture, maybe a bit of molasses um, and a bit of bran covered up. If you let that sit for a while, you'll see how much development there is. You'll see fungi and whatever start growing there. So it, it all depends on how rich do you want your compost to be. So not all compost is the same then? No, it's not. Yeah. I guess yeah. it has to do with how many different kinds of microorganisms were there to start off with. So where did your material come from? Does it come from a, a place where um, there is a lot of interference from people? Or is it a place where there's not so much interference from people? But then I guess also that, so what I'm understanding then is that if I'm using compost as a, a natural organic fertilizer, then it's, uh, I'm getting a diverse array of nutrients, obviously, but also I'm feeding the soil with those microorganisms compared to yeah. a synthetic fertilizer. Obviously, it would be a very limited amount of nutrients. It's only what's on the box kind of thing, yeah. what they've put in there. And you would get no microorganisms. No. And, and that's why um, the, the, they have been formulated in such a way that they are very easy to be taken up by the plant. Super easy. Um, probably even easier than compost. Um, but, and that's why you get such an enormous growth spurt so quickly, but, um, yeah, not, no microorganisms that come automatically with it. And because it is so easy to pick up, this, the, the root systems do not stimulate the other microorganism groups that might still live in the soil there, so they don't get any food. So they're left either to hibernate or they might even die because they're not being fed. And then the end result is, of course, you don't get a strong, healthy, nutritious plant at yeah. the end. Yeah, okay. yeah. because the, the nutrients are so easy to be taken up by the plants. So the plants grow very fast. They make very big cells, which have thin cell walls because they grow so fast. And the cells have a lot of water compared to the ratio of actual nutrients in there. So the cell wall is thin and therefore can easily break. So that's why there are um, more, there's more chance of an invasion because they're simply more delicate. And your ratio water nutrients per cell is very different. Lots of water and little nutrients. So also there, when you eat that, you get much less for your money. Okay. Yeah, it's not as nutrient dense. It's not, no. Yeah. So it looks really cool and really nice and big. Yeah. And lots of moisture, lots of water, but that's where often also the flavor is has disappeared a bit because the ratio of water nutrients I which see. give you your flavor is also yeah, 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 different. Yeah. Very interesting. 
So another, when I've been researching healthy soils and things like this, another term that keeps cropping up is regenerative farming. Maybe talk a little bit and tell us about what is that and how does that differ, if at all, from organic farming? Well, I think the, the term gen regenerative farming has come from farmers who have seen that um, their soils were not bringing um, the results anymore and they looked into what could be the problem and they realized how much damage had been done to their soils so they have they decided to change their practice to regenerate their soils and in so doing the movement for the regenerative farming comes from a bit of a well, it's, it's more recent, it doesn't automatically come from a different direction because also the organic farming originally came from seeing um, that it wasn't all so good with the chemical farming. But um, the organic farming sector has gone as far as um, creating a certificate for um, the farmers that want to call themselves organic farmers. So there are a number of organic, um, organic certification companies that would send inspectors out and they come and check everything that you do in your field. And um, based on that, if they find that you adhere to the sort of standards that have been put in place for organic farming, then you can call yourself properly an organic farmer and you get a certificate. And that is, in principle, something that needs to happen every year. Um, we tried to do that in Zambia with OPAS. Um, we would get um, an outside company to come in to certify because we were not set up for it yet. Um, and then these people would come to check your fields and check that you were growing things according to the standards. Um, but it is a costly, a costly procedure. So when it comes to organic farming and you wanting to export, you cannot do without your certificate. But for the Zambian market, the um, price that would come on top for an outside inspector to um, inspect your field, you would not earn that money back by local sales. Mm -hmm. So for local, it was really hard. And these inspectors would come from, when you say from outside, they would come from like South Africa or... Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, but now, I mean, you've been doing organic farming a long time here in Zambia. So you've seen, I imagine that there has been a bit of a shift. People are becoming a little bit more interested in it. Um, but yet we're not seeing it really in our supermarkets. No. And why is that? Because the, it, it's so expensive to get it certified or are there other reasons? Well, if there's two things. If it is a company from South Africa who has a supermarket here, then they say that the produce should ideally should be certified by an official 
certifying body for it to say organic on to, the label so that's yeah. going to be so a that big is, problem that, that is a big bottleneck yeah um and um i tried getting my produce into the local supermarkets um but they the management would not feel that there was really a market for it mm. and so i basically um, started by having a stall at the Dutch Reform Church Market and would try and gather as many different types of things that I could find in Zambia that were organically produced to show the public that we did have organic produce around. It was just not so easy to find. Um, so even now, people who want to buy organic, they have to seek out people like yourself and your shop, Greens and Grains, or other farmers directly if they want to buy organic, isn't it? Yeah. You can't There's go to a supermarket, unfortunately, in Zambia and get organic. You've got to no, go to the not, source. Not yeah. yet. And, and in the supermarkets that I did at some point um, put some stuff in, they would promise that they would label that part of the shelf as organic for everybody to see, and they would keep that shelf organic so that you would find it not that it would constantly be in a different position but in reality that would just not really happen and so yeah, yeah. it's 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 it was a struggle and so um that's why i then i had a small um shop as part of the york farm farmers market on kafua road when they had a far big farmer shop there and then when that um, stopped because they had sold the land, um, I basically went to do veggie boxes and that meant that I would produce and it would go from me straight to the end consumer without anybody in between because I was tired of trying to convince the supermarkets that it was worthwhile to have it there. And, um, and then to... Almost two years ago, I decided to try again. Well, I suppose there was there was an organic shop before. There was an organic shop established in Foxdale Court. I don't know exactly which year anymore. So we tried it with a shop there. Um, but unfortunately, at that time, um, it didn't work. So in 2019, I basically tried to see if Lusaka market was, was finally ready, ready, ready for an organic <laughs> shop. Yeah, no, and your shop is yeah. absolutely lovely, Annemiek, and we're so grateful to have it. So well done so, for persevering. Yeah. What about all the produce you see along the roads being sold, and the produce coming from small-scale farmers? Is that could that be qualified as organic or or not? Well, um, it's difficult to say. There might definitely be farmers out there that by default are not using any um, artificial fertilizer because it's also expensive because that is yeah. all with a cost yeah so it could very well be but you don't know and it would mean really having a serious discussion with the the, the people selling the stuff on the roadside to know where it comes from. And I'm sure so it could be, but it doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be yeah. And the problem is that um, there is also still a market where you can buy little bags with something white in it, which is medicine, 
and not really very many prescriptions as to how to use it and whether or not it is really what you want it for and what if you used it for because you have a problem there is no paper often with it that says okay that means that you cannot sell this produce now for two weeks because you've sprayed it yeah, because there if you use chemicals there is always a harvest interval that you need to not touch it for sale until they consider it safe for consumption but that is on the original package so you people may not it, know but not everybody might have gone to get the original package and therefore knows exactly what it says and then adheres to it so, and there is not so much policing of that around so there is a big gray area there yeah. Okay, so basically know your farmer. Yeah, know, <laughs> know, your, farmer. know exactly who you get it from. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, Zambia is one of the few countries in the region that currently does not have any GMOs, genetically modified organism, uh, crops. But um, I hear that that might be changing. What is the current status of GMO in Zambia? I'm, well... At the um, time, I don't know how many years ago, um, when the biosafety law had to be put in place, um, OPAS being one of the stakeholders, being very concerned about GMOs coming into the country because organic farming doesn't really go together with GMOs, we helped putting a biosafety law together, which was very strict and basically if there was any problem that came out of somebody growing a GMO crop, then the company would be liable for any um, uh, damage done. Which made it really not interesting at all to even come and ask if you, uh, for, for companies selling GMO seeds to come into the country. So we basically had a moratorium which was great. Um, however, under pressure, um, there is now currently a new a, a revision taking place of this biosafety law. Um, this revision has taken place uh, mostly behind closed doors. So we don't really know what has been changed. The Alliance for Agroecology has tried really hard to be part of um, that process, but even for them it was hard to, to get a, um, a foot in the door. So we don't know what, what they have decided now, which is a concern, um, because um, there is also now some um, research out that shows that um, GMO crops could be very harmful to people's health. Um, there is a gentleman um, by the name of Jeffrey Smith who very early on in the whole GMO story already protested against it and he's done a lot of um, research and followed a lot of people. He's made several movies um, that you can find on internet 
and um, one that particularly deals with the health effects of um, GMO food on people is called Secret Ingredients. Um, and he follows a number of people there that had complaints and changed diets um, where at first they were eating GMO food because in the States, the States is one of the, the main um, countries that has decided not to label it and people eat it unknowingly in many cases. Um, yeah, and there now about 10, 15 years later, you see what the effects are. Interesting. So I'm definitely going to make sure I watch that movie and I'll put a link in our show notes as well so everyone else uh, who's interested and want to explore that topic a, a bit further can do so. For people who might want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to, to get in touch with you online? Um, well, you can post um, my email address, greenfox at lelai.com. Um, you can, the shop, well, I suppose I'm not always in the shop, but um, I think the shop might be a good place to, to start and see what's there. And then there is a Facebook page for Greens and Grains, and there is a Facebook page for Green Fox, Green Fox Organics, um, so two other ways of getting in touch. Fantastic. And for those of you who are in Zambia, I highly recommend that you pay a visit to Anamika's shop because it is lovely, absolutely lovely. And we'll make sure we have all the information in the show notes below. Um, so Anamika, just to finalize, final question. How do you see the, the future of farming? And what do you think has to happen, in your opinion, to the farming industry for it to really embrace regenerative agriculture and, and potentially even organic farming? Is it possible? I mean, is there any hope there? I would think there is always hope there, but I do think it does need a major shift of thinking um, and um, we, we so think that we need to produce in huge big areas of one particular crop and I think that really needs to change to, to make it work. Um, but at the moment all machinery that has been developed to, to farm bigger is also completely um, focused on one crop only. So it would be a shift at every level that needs to take place. Um, but yeah, the, the, this knowledge about all these little creatures that live in the soil that are actually so important for us um, I hope that that information goes out. And that's quite um, new information, right? We didn't know about this a while back. Yeah, no, I hope that that information spreads really quickly and that um, many people think of all kinds of ways to then stimulate them because they will stimulate and give us um, a better, better food and therefore healthier body. Yeah. 
and perhaps people could try, which I'm currently doing, to grow a bit of our own food as well, if you yeah. have a piece of land. You don't, because you don't need that much space, right? No, and, and it is really good for us to be with our own hands in the soil. To reconnect. Yeah. 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 And we're so blessed here in Zambia as well, where we can kind of grow all year round, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. No, but still, but yeah, there, there is different ways in, 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 in which people even grow stuff vertically, but use some kind of soil, even when you grow vertically. Don't go completely um, soil-less, I would say. I, I think that the hydroponics miss the soil part of it. Yes, you could try and master entirely all the substances that the plant needs, but the microorganisms play a real important part and they need to find their way in there as well. Once again, Annemieke, thank you so much for being here today. I find this topic so fascinating and I think it's something that people need to know more about and get a bit more interested in because what I've realized is that I've spent my whole life being interested in health, my personal health and health of others, but without soil health, really there is no future. We need our good quality soil so we can grow healthy plants and feed yeah. ourselves ultimately for, for us to, to be healthy. Yeah. It starts with a farmer. Um, and this has been a complete revelation to me, really, um, that that is the case, you know. So I urge everyone to, you know, find out more about this uh, and, and, and certainly seek out uh, some organic farmers in your area yeah. and, su and support those farmers, yeah, because it really is so important for not only our health, but for our, our planet as well. Mm. Yeah. So thank you so much, Annemieke. And to all our listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. If you did enjoy the show, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. It really helps the channel. And uh, I wish you a fabulous day. Go out and crush it. Until next time, take care. Bye.